Awesome. It was awesome. Talking about love, Twin Cities, if you didn't hear. So that was a great, great outreach event that we let other people organize. And we joined in on, which is a great way to do it. It's part of what being the body of Christ is about, amen? You don't have to do everything yourself, which is cool. Uh, before we start, I want to pray for healing, physical, mental, emotional healing. We want to continue to be faithful to what the Lord has asked us to do, which was to keep praying for those things. So we're just going to do it as a group. So if you need prayer, raise your hand. And people next to you, you can keep sitting, and we're just gonna, I'm just going to pray for everybody as a group, okay? But if you need prayer, acknowledge it before the Lord. Hold up your hands like you mean it, like you actually want to get it, okay? This isn't magic, but God does look for desire. Part of faithfulness means you keep praying, you keep asking. And sometimes we get really timid, and we're like, well, I guess God could heal me if he really wants to. But that's not biblical, like, at all. He wants us to be like, heal me! Do it! Like the woman who, pre- who was bleeding for 12 years and pushed her way through the crowd, breaking all the laws of her day in order to grab a hold of Jesus' robe and be healed. That's what he wants, and so let's do that for ourselves. And for each other, let's press through that crowd for one another as well. So, Father God, we pray for your healing in Jesus' name. We thank you for your supernatural gifts of healing and miracles and signs and wonders. And we pray that you would pour out your healing on us. We thank you, Jesus, that it says in your word that by your wounds, we are healed. We thank you that you have also taken our griefs and borne our sorrows. So it's not just physical healing. It's emotional healing as well. It's mental healing. Father God, we receive your healing right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet. How's everybody doing? Having a good week? Okay week. I've had like a super, super stressful week. Um, But today I'm doing well, and I'm passing the test to live in peace despite stress, so praise God for that. Um, Let's think about Jesus for a second. I like to do that from time to time. Let's think about Jesus, okay? Let's think about what Jesus taught and what he talked about. And a couple of you know the answer because you were here at Liddy House on Sunday, so don't say it. Think about what Jesus taught. What are the things he taught about the most? Give me a list. Money? What else? Yep, money. What else? Repentance. Kingdom of God. Demons? Yep, he did a lot of casting out of demons. Love, for sure. Tons of that. Sickness, did a ton of healing. Other big things he taught on, anybody? Parables. He did a lot of parables. Taught a lot about food, other stuff like that. So, of the things that Jesus taught about a lot, often, over and over and over again, it seems to me that there was a reason he would do that. Don't you think? Maybe there was a reason that Jesus would teach on something like the kingdom of God over and over and over again. Because he really wanted us to get it. He really wanted us to understand what the kingdom of God is. So he kept teaching it and teaching it and teaching it. And that's why it's in the Bible. Um, John says that if all the things Jesus said and did were recorded, not all the books in all the world could fill what Jesus did. That's probably hyperbole. But his point is, Jesus did and said a ton of stuff that isn't recorded in the Gospels. Okay? And so what is recorded in the Gospels is what the Holy Spirit wanted us to know throughout the ages until Jesus came back. Everybody with me on that? And so it's very significant, the things that we see in the Gospels over and over and over again. And it's important for us to to look at that and understand that. So the things that Jesus talked about a lot, he's trying to emphasize, right? So what was the thing that Jesus talked about the most? The absolute most 
more than anything else. He totally emphasized this. He talked about it all the time. And Aaron is really anxious to give the answer. It's money. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about anything else, which seems weird. Does that seem weird to anybody else? He talked about money more than he talked about anything else. That seems strange. When I first heard it, I'm like, there's no way that's true. And I looked at it, I'm like, huh, that is true. Why? That seems really significant. It seems really strange. And part of that is because in the Western world, which is where we live, we have inherited this weird mindset in Christianity that there is a distinction between spiritual stuff and not spiritual stuff. You've probably all heard this and been taught this, whether you realize it or not. There's my spiritual life, which pertains to God and prayer, and then there's just my life, which is like going to work and, and paying bills and mowing lawns and, and eating brats on Sunday and all that kind of stuff, right? Well, in the Bible, they didn't have those kind of distinctions. Life was life, and God wanted to be a part of everything in our lives. There wasn't that distinction between sacred and secular. Sometimes you hear Christians talk about secular radio. They mean the opposite of Christian radio, you know? But in, in the biblical understanding, there isn't that distinction between secular and sacred. There's life, and God wants to be a part of it, no matter what. And so sometimes we think, oh, it's weird that Jesus talks so much about money, because it doesn't sound spiritual. That's not a spiritual thing. But what we do with money is actually a really spiritual thing. That's why Jesus talked about it all the time, right? He wouldn't have done that if it wasn't really spiritually important, if it wasn't important for our lives. So we need to figure out why. Why did Jesus spend so much time talking about money? What is going on here? I'll give you a little hint. He wants to bring us a whole lot of freedom and save us from a whole lot of worry and stress. Probably the number one cause of stress and worry in people's lives is money. Even in America where we have tons compared to other places. Most people will answer if asked, what's the main worry or stress or whatever in your life? Most people will say money. Jesus wants to free us of that. Isn't that awesome of him? He's super nice. He wants to free us from one of the biggest burdens in our life. And so he talks about money all the time. Another reason he talks about it all the time is because we don't get it. We need it to read it 50 times in the Gospels because we're thick. And we think, oh, money's not spiritual. Well, there's a sense in which money isn't spiritual. It's just neutral. It's just stuff. But God uses that sort of thing for spiritual purposes. So he uses money as a test. And again, I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version of the conclusion. Jesus says in Matthew 25, if I can't trust you with money, how can I trust you with true riches? If I can't trust you with money, how can I trust you with the important things, spiritual blessings, authority, and that sort of thing? And so money becomes a test. God uses money to test us and to test whether or not we are going to follow him, whether or not we are going to have faith and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so I don't need to preach now. That was the sermon. Um, I'm going to take a step back. Um, how many have heard of tithing? Have you heard of the Old Testament concept of tithing? Um, so in the Old Testament, they, their concept was that God owned the earth and everything in it, but that they were required by law, God's law that he gave down on Mount Sinai, they were required to give God back 10% of his stuff, you might say. And so all their animals, all their crops, everything was God's, given to them by God, and they were required by law to give God back 10%, sort of as a faith step, as a prove to me that I'm your God, prove to me that I'm Lord of your life. And so they were required to do that. Everything they made, they gave back 10% to the temple. Um, there was actually a yearly cycle. Sometimes they would give to the temple. Sometimes they would throw parties in their community and neighborhood. 
and that's what the tithe was used for. Um, so there were multiple uses of the tithe depending on the years. Um, and they were required to give 10% of everything they made like in their job, but also if they had a garden, they're growing crops, they gave 10% of their crops to the Lord. And the best 10%, the nicest tomatoes, the nicest strawberries, not the tiny shriveled strawberries that you're like, what is that? Um, they gave God the best stuff. Remember Cain and Abel? Abel gave God the best. Cain gave God some other junk. And God was like, I like this offering, I don't like this offering, because that means your heart's in the wrong place. It means you're like, God, whatever, I'm going to do this because I have to. You make me. And that's legalism. That's not what God is interested in. He's not interested in legalism. He's interested in our heart. And so that's the Old Testament principle of the tithe, which was a law in the Old Testament, Old Covenant. But we are not in the Old Covenant anymore. Amen? We are in the New Covenant now. And so in the New Covenant, we are not required to tithe anymore because we are not required to do anything in the New Covenant save Christ alone. The New Covenant is Jesus' end of sentence. Okay? Now there's a lot of great stuff for us to do Prayer is great. Reading our Bible is great. Gathering together. There's good things for us to do, and we should always obey the Lord and what he says. But the only thing required now is Christ. And so we are not required to tithe or else, you know, God will beat you up or something like that. Now, some people, you know, maybe don't agree with that. That's okay. We don't have to have a theological fight um, or anything like that. Uh, But there are, there have been times where I have heard messages on money that made me feel guilty, coerced, guilt-tripped, <laughs> so to speak. Like, if you're not giving enough money to God, he's going to smite you. Um, if you don't give money to this church, then you don't love Jesus. Or some sort of teaching on money that has created a yuckiness within me. Um, has anybody ever been in a teaching or in a church or anything like that where you heard somebody teach on money and you're like, eh, I don't like that. That sounded like condemnation to me. That sounded like them putting something on me that Jesus didn't, okay. So some of you have. Um, I want to take just a second and pray about that because if that's something you've experienced, that's bad, and I don't want you to have some sort of residual spiritual yuckiness from that, uh, which is my terminology for demonic influence. Yeah. Good. Yes. Thank you for, for doing that. Andy, you're the man. And, and that's the attitude that we want to have. But when we've received teaching that was bad or that condemned us or something like that, we have this like, oh, preacher's going to teach on money. Hold on to your wallets. This is going to be a guilt trip. I hope we got our bags packed. Right? That's a natural reaction that we have, especially if we've we've gotten bad teaching or if people have tried to cram things down our throat that wasn't good. And so rather than being like, yes, I want to know what God wants me to do with our money, we're like, what are you going to say? Because I I, I will defend my wallet and my PayPal account with my life. Um, And that's, that's not a good way to live. That's not humility, right? That is opposition, which isn't good. So I want to pray for that before we keep going. Is that all right? Everybody with me? All right, let's pray. Father God, I just break off anything, any sort of spiritual yuckiness that anyone has received over the years through um, any sort of coercive or guilt-trippy teaching that would try to force them or legalistically coerce them into giving to you. Lord, you say in your word that uh, you love a cheerful giver, not a giver who's been forced or coerced or peer pressured or spiritual pressured or whatever it is. And so I repent on behalf of all the pastors 
who have done that, any teachers, any leaders, any, any well-meaning friends or parents or whatever who've done that over the years. I repent on their behalf, Father God. And I just break off anything that would be over the minds or hearts of anybody here. I pray that you would help them to start the forgiveness process for those people if they need to do that. And I pray that we would all have open hearts and open minds for you to teach us about the freedom that you offer through God the Holy Spirit in the area of finances. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the only other thing I'm going to say about tithing, um, well, it's not bad, first of all. I'm not saying don't ever tithe. I'm, I'm just saying it's not like if you don't or else. Okay? Um, but there is one thing about tithing that I've heard from many, many people that I don't like. It's not right. And that is that um, this concept of, all right, if I give 10% to God, the rest is mine. Right? All right, God, I'm writing you your check. Here's your tip. And the rest is for mine. Hands off. Okay? But that's never what tithing was intended to be. Tithing, even in the old covenant, tithing was everything belongs to God. Here's my proof of it to the Lord by giving 10%. And not God's owed 10, the 90 is mine. Actually, everything is God's. The biblical understanding of finances is that 100% of what we have belongs to the Lord. And I will prove it to you. Well, first, think about it logically. To whom do you belong? Sunday school question. To whom do we belong? Jesus, right? We belong to Jesus. And so if you belong to Jesus, it just naturally follows that everything you have belongs to Jesus too, right? That's sort of obvious. That's sort of logical. And, but the Bible goes you know, further than that to say over and over again that this is true. Um, I call this section, what's mine is his. I stole that from Paul. Um, Psalm 24 verse 1 says the following. The earth is the Lord's. Who owns the earth? The Lord. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 24.1. The world and all those who dwell in it. So that's pretty clear, right? And that was the old covenant understanding of reality. God created everything. That, that means it's his. Okay? And so the earth is the Lord's. Everything in the earth is the Lord's. Everyone who lives in the earth is the Lord's. Everything belongs to God. And God lives for how long? Ever, right? So pretend this is time. Time's not actually linear, but it helps to look at it that way so that we can describe it and... Sorry, this isn't physics lesson time. It's scripture time. But, okay, so let's, let's pretend time is linear. Look at it this way. God is around for all of human history, okay? How much are we around for? Like tiny, itty, bitty, tiny little thing, okay? So everything in the earth belongs to God for the whole time. For a tiny little bit of that time, he gives some of that stuff and money to you. And then you die. And can you take it with you? No. Even the pagans know that. Okay, you can't take it with you. And so you die, and God then gives your stuff to somebody else. And what, what that means is stewardship. That's the biblical term for what we're talking about, stewardship. So the word Lord means master. And a steward is a kind of servant who the master puts in charge of some of his property. And so most of the parables we read about money, Jesus talks about masters and servants. He talks about masters and stewards. There's a parable about a vineyard. There's a bunch about God or a master giving people a giant chunk of money called a talent. And there's a bunch of other parables about this. Um, and so God is the master, and we are the steward. And so everything belongs to him, but we've been put in charge of some of that stuff, some of that money, while we are on the earth, to use on his behalf. And so it belongs to God, and we're in charge of it. So that's not to say that our money isn't ours. It's ours in the sense that we're in charge of it, we're responsible for it, to use it in submission to God and for the glory of God. 
So it's still our stuff, but it really belongs to God because we've given ourselves to the Lord and everything that we have then belongs to the Lord. Right? I'm not trying to like set up a weird math equation here. Um, it's actually super simple. Everything you have belongs to the Lord. Okay, next. Um, now, believing that's true is one thing and living it out is a totally different thing. It's one thing to believe something, another thing to live it out. Um, Acts chapter 4 shows us that the early church actually was living this out in a real way. Um, Acts 4, if you want to look it up, Acts 4, 32 uh, through 35. This was right after one of the giant um, revival nights when like three or 4,000 people came to the Lord. And then the church is getting together and hanging out, and it says this, Acts 4.32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. I'll repeat that again because it was kind of verbose. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. So this belongs to me, but it's not really my own because everything belongs to God. And so this needs to be used for the glory of God and in submission to the will of God. And so if I really want a brand new one of these in a couple of months, which I do, I need to submit that to the will of God. God, do you want me to spend your money on getting a new phone? Or is this actually perfectly fine? That's where the rubber meets the road, right? Because we want stuff. Because stuff is fun. Okay? And I just want to say, for the record, it's not wrong to spend money on pleasure. It's not wrong to spend money on yourself. It's not wrong to buy yourself something. It's not wrong to go to Chipotle instead of getting generic mac and cheese or whatever. Okay? But we do it in Chipotle. But we do it in submission to the Lord. And so when we look at our finances, we might say, well, I go to Chipotle five times a week. Maybe I'm spending too much of God's money on that. And I should be better steward of that money and make a little bit of food at home. So that's kind of the where the rubber meets the road stuff with this. If it's all God's money, we have to do everything in submission to the Lord. And they really did this in Acts. Now, I'm going to read this, the whole, the whole verse now. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own. But they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So they believed this hardcore to the point where they were, they were willing to sell stuff for the sake of others who had a need. That's pretty hardcore. Yes, including oxen and, and many other things. They would sell houses. They would sell land. If there was a bunch of, because there were a bunch of widows and needy people in their midst, and they're like, all right, well, God has given me a bunch of stuff. This is God's stuff. And so there's a need. I have God's stuff. God wants to meet their need. So where's God's stuff? In my wallet. God's provision for them might be in your wallet. And so God might want you to be the one who provides for them. Um, and that's, that's how this sort of thing works. Now, God isn't poor. Okay? He doesn't, like, need your money or else he's not going to make rent this month. God is totally rich, right? The Bible talks about that many, many times. And so it's not that God needs your money. It's that God is testing you as to whether or not he is actually Lord of your life in the area of finances. Are they going to trust me? Are they going to obey what I ask them to do in the area of money? And this is the first big money test. 
a lot of money tests. And in two weeks, I'm going to talk more about money tests and how we can pass our money tests and a little more about like giving and where to give and all that kind of stuff. But um, the, the thing for tonight is to understand this concept of stewardship and that God is testing us through money. That's why Jesus talks about it all the time. It's incredibly important because this is one of the first tests that he uses in our life. And he continues to use it throughout our life. And passing money tests produces faith. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit. And that's part of what God is after as well. So pause here. Any questions so far? Anything unclear? I will tell you about the money tests. Yes. I will tell you about that. Any other questions? We'll have more time for questions at the end, but I want to pause here. So does that, would everyone say they sort of at least understand what I'm saying, even if you don't totally believe it, this concept that everything you have belongs to God? Is that sort of clear? It's, that that's what scripture teaches? And that he is the master and you are the steward of this stuff. So you're in charge of it, but it's his stuff. Um, let's look at that a tiny bit more. Open up to Matthew chapter 6. Um, if, if, if this is new for you or if you haven't embraced this before, it can be a little difficult. It sort of flies in the face of the modern American dream, doesn't it? The modern American dream is very much like the accumulation of stuff. I want more stuff. What is your goal in life? To go to college so that you can get a good job, so that you can make a lot of money, so that you can get stuff, so that you can die without your stuff. It makes no sense to me, but that's sort of the pursuit. Um, and Jesus talks about that in the passage we're about to, to read. The Gentiles seek after this thing. People who aren't following me are the ones who seek after that kind of stuff. That isn't necessary for us to seek after because God's the one who provides for us. Um, and so sometimes kind of talking about stewardship like that can be perceived as a negative thing. Wait a minute, you're saying not all my stuff is mine. That sounds limiting. That sounds like I don't have enough to buy Chipotle as often as I want. Or I don't have enough to buy the car I really want. And the reality is that might be true. If you are submitting your finances to God, and you're like, God, I would like this car. And God says, actually, I want you to buy this car. This is the car I want you to buy. Or this is the amount that I want you to spend. Instead of this, I want you to spend this. If it's his money, he gets to do that. Amen? And that's part of what submitting our finances to the Lord means. Now, in, in the Bible, the Old Testament, one of the uses for money is to have fun. It says that. But that's not the only use. I'll show you later. That's not the only use for money. God allows us a certain amount of money to have fun and enjoy this life, and that's important. But ultimately, everything is submitted to the Lord. So when it comes to, Lord, how big of a house should I buy? Lord, how nice of a car should I buy? How many times should I go out to eat? All that kind of stuff about spending, we need to pray. We need to submit it to the Lord and say, you are the Lord of my finances, not me. So master, how would you like me to spend your money? Because there might be other things he wants to do with your money besides buying that super awesome car. Let's look at Matthew 6. Uh, and Emma, could you read for us Matthew 6, 25 through 34?
Okay. So he doesn't, Jesus doesn't beat around the bush here too much. Um, he's trying to get them to really, really believe something that he's talked about all the time. And that's you don't have to worry like ever about anything. You never have to worry ever about anything. Because you're God's kid and he loves you. And God's actually not a jerk. He's actually super duper awesome. And he promises he will provide for you. He will. For sure, 100% always provide for you. But I don't have a place to live. He'll provide for you. But I don't know if I can make rent based on how much I'm making at my job. He will provide for you. I don't have a job. I need one or I'm going to be broke. God will provide for you. I can't afford a car. I really need a car to get to this new job that God gave me. He will provide for you. He will. Jesus promises that he will. And does Jesus keep his promises? Straw poll. Does Jesus keep his promises? Every freaking time. He keeps his promises, and he promises you here. Guys, seriously, like, I mean, the tone, the tone of Jesus here is hilarious. He's just like, come on, obviously I'm going to provide for you. Obviously I'm going to provide for you. I provide for grass and, like, flowers that is beautiful today, and tomorrow we chuck it in the oven because nobody cares. I made that thing gorgeous. You don't think I'm going to help you? Seriously, where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith, he says. And this passage is the first money test you have to pass. This is the first one you have to pass. And if you don't, you're the one of little faith. So Jesus is pretty like, hey, come on guys, seriously. Money is important. Are you going to trust God in the area of money? Or are you going to worry about it? Now, I am not trying to condemn any money. We have all worried about money. I have worried about money many, many times especially when I was poor, okay? I have worried about money before, but I never do now. I haven't worried about money for more years than I can remember. And I'll talk to you about that, about why that's true in a little bit. So Jesus says here, we do not have to worry about money. You just don't. And this is the first money test. Are we going to trust Jesus? Are we going to take him for his word and believe that he'll provide for us and that everything we have is his and we use it according to his will? And even if he asks us to give a bunch or to be generous over here, or to quit a good-paying job for a lesser-paying job. If we obey the Lord, he'll always take care of us no matter what. Because we're his kids and he loves us. Amen? So I want to give you an example of this. Let's say your car breaks down, or is about to break down. It's like on its last leg. And you're like, Greg, what's wrong with my car? And Greg's like, I think it's probably the, the automatic transmission. And you say, what does that mean? And he says, it means $1,000 is what that means. And you say, crap. Because in your bank account, there's not $1,000. Now, Jesus says, don't ever worry about all your stuff. Don't worry about anything. And yet, we hear that news. And what is the very first temptation for us to do? Worry. My car needs to be fixed. It takes 1000 bucks. I don't have it. Ah! And it drives us nuts. It will probably ruin your week if you let it. Maybe even worse. Okay. And I'm not saying if you let that ruin your week, you're the worst Christian of all time. We've all been there, okay? But I'm saying that it is Jesus' will for that not to ruin your week. Because think of it this way. Whose car is that? God's car. Whose money is in your bank account? God's money. So does it matter that God's car needs to be repaired? It does not matter. It's God's car. It's God's money. 
You're just a steward of it. Now, we want to be wise stewards. I'm not saying go ahead and drive the car into a bridge abutment. It's just God's. It doesn't matter. No, don't be ridiculous. Right? We want to be good stewards. But does it surprise God when our car needs to be fixed? You think? You think he's going up in heaven and he's listening to prayers and he's like, wait, your car's broke? Hang on. Your car, well, this is not on the list. Who's the angel in charge of his car? What is going on? What are we going to do about this? Meeting tomorrow, 1 p.m. to decide how to fix this. No, God is not surprised when your car needs to be broke or when your car needs to be fixed, okay? <laughs> He's also not surprised if it needs to be broken. I don't know, I don't know why it would. Um, maybe, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so, that was funny. Um, God is not surprised. We are, because that's, that's, that's the world we live in. We live in a, in a place where we don't see anything or don't see everything. We look as through a veil, right? And so uh, through a glass darkly is another image. So we don't see everything, but God does, and he tests us through stuff like this. I'm not saying God breaks your car to test you. He doesn't have to because cars break on their own. Amen? He does not have to make you sick to see if he can test you on whether or not you're going to trust him to heal you because people get sick. So God's not in the business of doing that sort of thing most of the time. There are very rare exceptions. And so your car breaks, God's saying, ooh, the car broke. Yes, it's that time of the week for you to be in a money test. Let's see how Alicia does with this money test. The test is, are you going to trust God or are you going to freak out? It's a simple choice, and it actually is a choice. We can't stop situations from being stressful, but we can stop ourselves from being stressed out in any situation. Because Jesus said, I give you my peace. We have the peace of Christ. My peace I give you, let not your heart be troubled, is what Jesus said. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled, is what that means. I give you my peace, so don't let your heart be troubled. Just don't. Yeah, but my car broke. So? Whose car is it? Mine. Whose money is it? Mine. Who do you think can pay for it? You, obviously. Why are you worried? I don't know. It just seems appropriate to be worried about this. But it's not. You don't have to. It's all God's stuff. It's all God's money. Um, and we, we have a lot of <laughs> testimonies about this, my wife and I. Um, there was a point at which we really needed a car, um, and God provided us money, and we bought one. And we drove it back from Seattle, and it exploded on the freeway six months later on my way to Stephanie's uh, birthday party. And so the car exploded on the freeway, and this time it was going to be $1,350 to replace. It threw a rod. I don't know what that means. All I know is we heard a very large explosion and a lot of billowing smoke coming out of the back. And I'm like, from the rearview mirror, like, is that our car that has that much smoke coming out of it? Because we need to stop driving now if that's our car. And it was. Um, and so we're like, okay, God. Uh, in our bank account, we had approximately, oh, we, in the bank account, we had $1,350. And the repair was $1,300. Okay? So we're like, okay, God miraculously fix this car, maybe? That would be neat. Or somehow provide somebody to do it way cheaper. Or give us the money to fix it. We already kind of have the money, though, in our bank account. But here's the other thing. There was a mission trip that we had committed to do that we felt like God really wanted us to go on. And the total cost of the mission trip was $1,300 for the two of us. And now we have a decision to make. Fix the car, go on the mission trip. Fix the car, go on the mission trip. We need a car to, like, get to school because we lived off campus, because we were children and got married, and they wouldn't let us live on campus anymore. 
because um, they're like, people don't do that anymore. Um, so we live off campus, and it's like uphill and all this kind of stuff. It's in Minnesota. It's winter. It's cold. Um, do we fix the car that we need, or do we obey the Lord and go on the mission trip that we, he wants us to go on? And we were certain that he wanted us to do this. And so we chose the mission trip, and we wrote a check for 1300 bucks. That doesn't make us superstars. We just said yes to spend God's money where God told us to spend it. Okay? That's all. Um, I will fully admit that I expected a new car to show up, like immediately. <laughs> God, we have walked in such epic faith. Now provide us with thine bounty. Uh, it, it didn't happen, actually. God didn't immediately provide a car for us, but he did provide bikes. And I have working, I have working legs. I can bike to school. I just don't want to. Okay? Now, we could bike to groceries, too, but that was hard, so we had to mooch rides. So we had to humble ourselves from other pe to other people and say, can I please bum a ride off you to go to the grocery store? So humility was one of the requirements here. Biking uphill in the snow, also hum humiliating, especially when I fell on the way down and slid halfway down, and the Domino's Pizza guy stops and goes, dude. Um, but he threw my bike in the truck and gave me a ride home, so that was awesome. But I literally slid like a quarter of a mile down this hill. My bike was way ahead of me, and he's like, dude. And I'm like, uh, but I didn't get injured, praise the Lord. So um, this car, the new, the new awesome car didn't show up. Instead, we got bikes, and then our bikes got stolen. What? Right? And then so we bought new bikes, and then the tires on my bike got slashed. So I had to buy new bike tires. That was a persecution thing. We were doing a lot of ministry that people didn't like. Um, but anyway, so like the whole, if you follow God, he will make you Bill Gates rich. That's not like the way it goes, okay? If you follow God, you will have trouble. That's what Jesus said. Is that the most popular verse in the Bible? No. Not the most popular verse in the Bible. But it's true. If you follow Jesus, there will be trouble. In life, there will be trouble. Life sometimes sucks. The point is, regardless of whether or not life sucks at the moment, Jesus says, I will provide for you. I will take care of you. And he did. He gave us rides to go to the grocery store. We had enough money to buy food, despite the fact that we were super poor. So he provided for us in all those ways, despite the fact that this new car didn't show up. Um, and then a, a year later, uh, we were going to go up here. Sarah's going to go to the U of M for grad school. I'm going to go to seminary. And God, I'm like, God, I need a car, because like, I can't walk from downtown Minneapolis to Roseville, because like, that doesn't work, right? And so I said, we really need you to get us a car. Again, no money, right? Like, zero money. We're, we're living on, like, our parents' generosity at this point. Um, and great Aunt Alita giving early inheritance, whose great aunt sends them early inheritance checks that for, like, $1,000, $2,000. Nobody on earth. But God provided for us these weird, crazy ways, right? And so he's always provided for us, no matter what. And each time you're in a faith test and you have to trust for God's provision and he does it, it builds your faith. God, I'm looking at the budget for the next month. It's in the red. How's the money going to come in? The money comes in. What does it do? Builds your faith. Then you get another test. Okay, God, now I have to trust you for this much. God gives it to you. What does it do? It builds your faith. Then God says, I want you to increase the amount of money you give. And you say, oh, but we don't have enough money. And he said, well, it's my money, so how about you spend it where I say? And you say, oh, okay. And, and, then, and then you do it and you increase your giving. And God provides for you anyway, and it increases your faith. Amen? And that is part of the reason for these money tests. If I can't trust you with money, how can I trust you with things that are really important? 
And so that's why God uses money in all these ways. And so anyway, we're praying for a car. God gives us one, a free car. This was an old car, a very ancient car. It was the first car ever made. It was, well, it was a 1989 Toyota Camry. Some of you, that is before you were born. <laughs> 1989 Toyota Camry. Uh, it burned more, more oil than gas. Um, there was a large hole in the trunk, which we didn't notice until we came home from grocery shopping and we were missing a bunch of stuff. And we're like, we bought juice. I swear we bought juice. Did we leave it at the store? Uh, what is that? That's a large hole. How many things have we lost through this hole? Didn't we used to have a tire jack? We sure did. Where is that? I don't know. In the middle of 35W somewhere, probably. Um, and so, so this was not the greatest car ever made, but it ran, and it ran. I was about to say it ran well. That would have been, that would have been cheating. Um, it ran okay. It did use more gas than oil. Anytime you had to put gas in it, you had to put a quart of oil in. Um, and so we prayed, Lord, this is your car. Thank you for the car. Please keep it running like till, till you come back. Or, or give us the money to pay for it, to fix it, because it needs a lot of fixing. Whichever one you want is fine by us, because it's your car and your money. So if you want to give us the money to pay for it, sweet. If you just want to keep it alive supernaturally, sweet. And most of the time, he chose to keep it alive supernaturally. Two or three months in, it didn't use any oil anymore, beyond what it like, already had. We, you know, it, there was oil in the car, uh, but we didn't have to keep putting it in all the time. And it started getting like 50 miles per the gallon, it was like crazy, crazy. The car got healed. God healed our car. <laughs> <laughs> and it, was, it ran like super, super awesome until the day that they told me the axle had cracked. And I said, I don't know what that means. And they said, it means your car's going to fall in half at some point when you're driving on the freeway. And I said, I feel like that's not safe. And it wouldn't be a good steward of my life to continue driving this vehicle. So I sold it to a friend <laughs> for $1. He was just going to use it for parts. Um, no, he was an enemy. I sold it to an enemy. Um, uh, the interior lights on the car didn't work most of the time. So at night, you would be driving in complete blackness, except for the headlights, which if you've never done that, is really awesome, except super scary. You'd be driving on the freeway, and there's nothing. You can't see anything. People would be driving next to me like, what the? Because like most cars, you can't even do that. You can't turn off the interior lights all the way if the headlights are on. And so they'd be like, what is happening right now? He's clearly on his way to murder someone because there's no other reason until they saw like bits of my car hanging off the bat and I'm like, oh, that's why it's a piece of crap. Um, but it was a car and it worked and it was awesome and God provided in that way. And we just have so many stories about how God provides. And so he gives you a faith test, you pass it, you get more faith because you pass the test. Then he gives you another faith test and you pass it and you get more faith and it goes and goes and goes. It increases, increases, increases. And... You know, now we don't own a piece of crap car. We own a super awesome minivan that is awesome and more expensive than all our previous cars put together, and it's super, super sweet that God let us have. Now, am I saying that if you're faithful to the Lord in little stuff, like being a good steward of that crap car, that he will eventually give you cool stuff? And yes, that is what I'm saying, because that's what the Bible says. Now, does that always mean you're going to get to spend that money on yourself? Not necessarily. We might have to sell our minivan someday and buy a crap minivan, you know? I don't know. It's God's van. He can do whatever he wants with it. But in general, the stewardship principle is that as you are faithful to the Lord, he will be faithful to you. It's sowing and reaping. Have you heard that concept? You sow, you reap. Um, so God, God will provide for you, and he really, really, really means it. Jesus means it when he says you don't have to worry about stuff. Do not have to worry. 
my car broke down, I don't have a job, I don't have an apartment, or my apartment rent has come due, or one of my roommates is leaving and now we don't have enough money to make rent. No matter what it is, what it, whatever the money test is, you don't have to worry. Say, God, yeah, this is your money, this is your place, your stuff, whatever it is, I trust you to take care of me, and then ask him for wisdom if there's anything you need to do, like go get yourself a job, or whatever it is. Um, Let's pause there for now. Uh, in two weeks, I'm going to continue this in two weeks from now, um, and we're going to talk more about money tests and how to pass your money tests each and every time, and we're going to talk more about giving and, and that sort of thing. For now, anybody have any questions? Money's a huge topic, I realize. It's, it's a hard topic to chew. Andy, which is why some, of, some pastors hesitate to even talk about money, because there's just so much involved with it, it's kind of a difficult subject to talk about. Um, Andre, what, what do you need? I mean, what do you have? Yeah, and that is what the Bible says. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And we can see that every day that we look outside. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. People misquote that and say money is the root of all evil. But that's not true. Money's not evil. It's not good. It's neutral. Money is like food. You need food. Some food is inherently good and some is inherently bad. Bacon, awesome. Brussels sprouts, not. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, how you use your food is really what determines whether or not it's good or bad, right? If you eat three whole cheesecakes, that's not being a good steward of that food. That's a sin. That's gluttony, right? Um, and money is the same way. It's, it's neither good nor evil. But the love of money is bad. And that's what Jesus talks about here. He's like, what you eat, what you wear, where you live, all this stuff, all this materialism, the Gentiles seek after all these things. That's all they care about is this stuff. Don't do that. And you don't need to do that because God will provide for you. Stewardship takes the pressure off. We don't have to worry about money. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to freak out. We don't have to say, but I'm not making a lot of money and I want to get married. And if I can't even make ends meet now, how am I going to be able to, to, to be married? And, and, and like we let it mess us up. And Jesus is like, don't. Just don't do that. Don't have to worry. God's going to provide for you. Other people have questions. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with one. Um, it's it's. It's honestly, it's the same. The, the, the main difference is uh, that it's not a law anymore. 
it's not legalistic. Before, it was like you will do 10%. That's just what God decided to do is 10%. You will do that. Giving money to the Lord is still one of the ways that we prove to him that he is Lord of our life because he does want you to give some of the money back. And that's part of the test is to give money to him. Um, and 10% is a good place to start. But it's, I, I think it's meant to be that. It's meant to be a starting place. Not that you have to start at 10%. If the Lord says start at two, start at like a buck a week or whatever, like that's fine. You know? And it's not about how much you give either. Remember the widow who gave two pennies? And Jesus said she gave more than anybody else who, who was rich and gave a ton of money. It's not the amount that you give. It's that you're obeying and that you're giving. So even if you make like no money, if you're like I make 100 bucks a month and that's it, well, ask God how much of that 100 bucks a month he wants you to give away. And we'll talk more about that in two weeks. But that, so, so it's not that in the old covenant showing God that you trusted him was about giving money and in the new covenant it's not. In terms of finances, that is how you show him. That's one of the ways, at least. But ultimately, it's, it's not just about giving to him. It's about understanding that everything is his and obeying him in what he calls you to do with it, what he's made you a steward of. Does that kind of answer your question? So in two weeks, we'll talk about that again. And if, that, if I haven't sufficiently satisfied that, ask me again at the end of that <laughs> week, and we'll keep talking about that. Anybody else have any questions? Thoughts? For sure. When we first got married, and I, would, I was in charge of our finances, and I would look, be like, here's the money that's going to come in, here's the money that's going to go out. The going out pile was always significantly larger than the coming in pile, every time, every month. And so my initial thought was, I'm a terrible husband, A. B. Maybe we got married too soon or something like that, but we were pretty sure God told us to get married then. And so what is going on, God? So yes, I was worried. But what I did with that is I turned to the Lord and desperately and said, God, you have to provide. You have to provide. And so I didn't pass that half of the test in the sense that it did stress me out, but I did bring it to the Lord at least. God, you need to help me. You need to help me. You need to help me. Um, but eventually, God would provide, and then he'd provide again, and then he'd provide again, and then he'd say, I want you to increase the amount of money you give. And I'm like, but do you remember the fact that we don't have any money? Like, we need you to give us money. You're asking us to give you more money. I don't understand the math. And he's like, my math is different than your math. You don't need to understand it. And I, and I had a concept that you can't outgive God, but I hadn't, had, I hadn't been in charge of my own life yet <laughs> in order to experience that. And so when I did, and God provided anyway, that built my faith and over and over and over again. So yes, it was a process of years before I got to the point where I hardly ever worry about money, and then I really don't worry about money eventually. And I, 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 I would have to really think. I'd actually have to ask God the Holy Spirit to remind me the last time I worried about money because it's been long. And that's not because I'm awesome, okay? Just, this is a testimony, right? It's a testimony of what God has done. Well, I'm, I mean... I don't have to tell you I'm awesome. I don't have to prove to you that I'm awesome. Um, but, but God has done this in my life by proving his faithfulness over and over and over again to the point where I don't need to even have faith that God will provide. I have knowledge that he'll provide. I know it like I know my wife loves me. I don't have to have faith that Sarah loves me. I know it for sure. So I don't personally pray for provision. I don't pray for Matthew 6 stuff anymore for myself. 
I used to all the time. It's not wrong to do so. But eventually, God will build your faith to the point where you don't need to pray for him after he's sick. You don't need to pray for him to provide because you know he will. So you pass. You graduate from faith into knowledge and certainty. And Paul talks about that somewhat in some of the Gospels, the sure and certain hope. Okay. Did that sort of answer that? So it, it does take time. It's not a you pass, you pass one faith test and all of a sudden you're like super faith, man. And, you know. But the great thing about faith is faith is a substance that transcends um, area of your life. Once you have more faith, you have more faith. And faith can be used for anything. And so if you have more faith in the area of money, because God has proven himself to you in money, you'll have more faith to believe for that healing. If you have more faith because God has increased your faith in the area of money, you'll have more faith to step out into that career risk that he's calling you to. If you have more faith because he's increased your faith in the area of money, then you'll have more faith to believe that your sister, who you've been praying for forever, is going to finally come back to the Lord. Cool? So faith is important. And one of the reasons God, Jesus constantly uses money tests for us is because it's an easy, easy way to build our faith. All we do is trust. Our faith goes up, and it's like boom, boom, boom. Now, in order for a test to continue being a test, they do get progressively harder because, you know, a senior math major isn't going to take a test on high school algebra because that wouldn't be a test. It would be a joke, right? Um, so the tests do get harder. We're in a test right now financially, and I'll talk more about that in two weeks. But it's the harder t probably the hardest test we've been in in terms of money. And of course it would be. Because if you gave us the test we had 10 years ago, it wouldn't be a test. We'd say, whatever. That's not a test. That's not a challenge. If you want to keep growing your muscles, you have to eventually increase the weight that you lift, right? Any weightlifters, bodybuilders in here? You have to increase the weight that you lift. Otherwise, it's not going to stress out your muscles. It's not going to cause your muscles problems, which is what causes them to grow. Okay? Similar, faith is very similar to that. Any other questions? Anybody feel like they're maybe in a, faith, in, a, in a money test these days? Maybe because of a lack of funds or because God is calling you to do something that you don't see you have the funds for or you need a job or he's asking you to increase your, your giving and you're like, I don't know how that's going to work out. Um, money tests are frequent and they'll keep happening over and over again. So don't worry about that. Expect it. For me, I've come to the point where when, when Paul says count it all joy when you face suffering or persecutions, I'm getting there. I'm getting to the point where I'm starting to rejoice when I face some sort of suffering or persecution or test because I know that on the other side of that test is going to be something awesome. And that's why God's letting the test happen. It's like a video game level. At the end of a video game level, you fight a boss. And when you beat the boss, you get the boss's stuff, and you get the special stuff, and then you get to go to the next level. That's how it works in everything in the spirit. At the end of our level, of faith, level of money, level of whatever it is, level of intimacy with God. At the end of this level, God wants us to graduate to the next level. To do that, we have to pass a test. We have to beat the boss. When you beat the boss, you get all his stuff. And then you get to go to the, and then you rescue the princess. Exactly. Um, so that's how things work in the spirit. And so now, when I face giants, I'm like, hey, this is a giant. My initial reaction might be like, oh, God, that's a big giant. And I pray, pray, pray. But pretty quickly, it's like, you know what? This is cool. This is good. I'm glad I have to fight a giant because he's probably got some awesome giant stuff that I want. I want a giant sword. For real. I actually do. 
want a giant sword? When David kills Goliath, read the story. When David kills Goliath, he gets to keep his sword and his armor and all this stuff. He actually takes his whole head. I'm surprised he could lift it. Um, but he gets Goliath's sword. I want Goliath's sword. And so if, if I'm facing a giant, that's good. I want to fight this stuff. I want to get what he's got for me, the reward on the other end of that challenge or test, and then pass to the next level where there's good stuff from the Lord. So... Uh, I need to look it up, but I'll, I'll show it to you. I think it's in Proverbs, where it talks about one of the purposes of wealth is to enjoy it. And so, yeah, don't hear me say 100% of what you have belongs to God, therefore you can never have fun and you should pretty much be a monk. Um, like, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that you need to do everything in submission to the Lord, because it's God's stuff, and what you do do is, do -do, is glorifying to the Lord with your stuff. <coughs> and so God might say, you get to buy the, the nice minivan which was yay for me, and it was a consolation for me because I hated the idea of having to have a minivan. And it's my car, too, because I'm the half-time stay-at-home dad, and so I'm the one who drives the minivan all the time. Sarah's got the nice sedan. I get the minivan. And so God's little consolation to me for forcing me to do something I swore I would never do um, was that it at least has leather seats. Um, okay. Any other questions? I want to I give some time for prayer for those who want. Anything? 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 Okay. Feel free to come up and ask questions afterwards or if you want prayer. If, if you're really facing a tough test and you're like, I'm not doing so well on this test right now. I want some prayer. I want somebody to stand with me. Then I'm happy to do that with you. Um, you want to maybe pray for us or close this out? They heard a lot from me tonight. <laughs> so why don't you bless us and anybody who is able to stay and Chat, discuss, pray for each other, hang out. There's food over there. Andy, you're welcome. You get you you win my notes. If you want. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's a wonderful subject because everybody has some and get tested. So thank you, Nate. Let's go like this. Yeah. Now, Father, for those who are worrying about their finances, we pray that you would bring them new freedom from what they have heard. Bring them a sense of excitement about what you're going to do. Joy. Lots of joy. In the way that you deal with them. Let it be very personal and very special. Show them in tangible ways, how much you love them. Amen.
Let me just say one more thing about this. God, God shows his love to me in playful ways. And he started doing it when I was in college. I've been given many cars, not by similar same people, but by different people. They didn't know that other people had given me cars. One time I broke down uh, um, a van, a blue uh, Chevy Astro van, and I was given that weekend a blue Astro van. So I have lots of stories like Nate does. How many about cars do you think you've been given? About eleven, I think. And we've given some. We've given some cars, but mainly we've been on the receiving end because we've been on the needy side of the place. But he shows. He shows his love, and sometimes it's just playfulness. So it's not simply a matter of saving money, but it's a matter of God showing how much delight he takes in us. And so I, I told that to one of my daughters. I pointed my finger at her and I said, you watch, because she was worrying, married and worried about her finances. I said, you watch. Real soon, God's going to show you in a very special way. And they were given a car, expensive, $15,000. They were given a car by some people. And God said, okay. I said, I, I had to say it again to her because that, there are times when she does worry. I said, why would you? He's looking out for you. He really does look out for you. And it, it's plain fun. One, one quick thing that I don't want recorded. Anyway, um, so I told you we're in a money test right now, and I'll talk more about that in a couple weeks. But I shared about it on Sunday, how we're in this money test. And today, Sarah gets an email at work saying, Oh, by the way, your salary is going to be different than we told you. How many know that's not necessarily a fun email to get? But they said it's going to be $5,000 more this week than you were expecting. So how awesome is that? We literally just got an email saying here's five grand. So is God freaking awesome or what? Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. Okay. If you want to just take a moment, just a moment, spin, spin with somebody and just pray.